We're going to read from verse 44 through the end of the chapter, verse 52. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Shalom. Our good friend Uri says hello, sends his love. Uh, it was a, a wonderful, very busy couple of weeks in Israel. And uh, it is good to be back uh, with you today, sharing the word of the Lord. Um, as Steve has already read, we are in Acts chapter 13 this morning. Um, one of the most important lessons that uh, God continues to teach me personally um, is that the privilege of place, and what I mean by that is kind of like where we live, is not as big of a deal as I used to think. I guess I grew up thinking that um, to live in Israel, where uh, the Valley of Elah, where David killed Goliath, or the Temple Mount where Jesus spoke, or the Sea of Galilee uh, that Jesus uh, preached from and sometimes in when he would be in a boat and the crowds would kind of gather. I just thought that those places, because of how close Jesus would have been or how the context would have worked, it was just this natural connection that just made it like fit. And so sure, like if, if we lived here um, or if we lived then, it would be a lot easier. But any studying of the scriptures kind of kicks that out of you. Um, for we see that no matter where the word is spoken, it is received and rejected. That no matter when the word of God is spoken, from Moses, from Noah, um, from Isaiah the prophet, from John the Baptist, or Jesus, or Paul, when the word of truth is spoken about who God is and his plan, it is both received and rejected. One of the dangers of preaching through an entire Bible book like we do around here, the good news is, is that we get to deal with all the texts. We get to deal with um, not just what Jim wants to preach or what so-and-so wants to focus on, but when we have to deal with the whole book, we have to deal with all of it. And one of the difficult things is the amount of repetition that exists in a book. And here we are in the book of Acts, and there is some serious repetition. That the word of Jesus is preached or witnessed to. 
And then after that witness, there are those that receive and there are those that reject. There are those that embrace and there are those that, that, that say, I don't want anything to do with this. And it happens over and over and over and over again. And it is such an incredible reminder that like God's word is true and real in all times and in all places. So the last few weeks being on the temple steps and they're just kind of empty now. And everyone's just going on about their life. And I I just want to stop and grab everyone and just say, do you understand you're in Jerusalem? Like, do you know that you live in Jerusalem? Like, have you guys been down to the temple steps recently where Jesus preached? And the vast majority of people would say, no, that's, that's for tourists. Like, that's for people that come over from America that are all excited about where Jesus was. But, you know, I got a job. Um, I, got, I got to go to work. I got a family that I got to support. I just, I don't have, don't have time to just go down and hang out on the front of the temple steps or walk around on top of the temple mound or um, as our good friend Justin did, just wander into the Sea of Galilee. No, it's, uh, it's just a sea. Actually, it's a lake. It's just a lake. And what we are witnessing this morning is the fact that Paul and Barnabas have been appointed by God to leave where they are from, where they care about, and go to a new place where no one has ever heard the gospel before. Where no one has ever had the, the plan of salvation given to them and then at that moment where they're looked at eye to eye and say, okay, are you going to accept this? Are you going to take your entire life and, and, and fold it in and wrap it up in who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ is all about. And I guess I've always kind of thought in the back of my mind that location would help or that time might help, but it doesn't matter where I go. The gospel is just hard. And it is sometimes accepted and it is usually rejected. And that's what we're gonna see again. I I just think I have to do this just... One more time, like explain what the gospel is. Because the gospel is not just this simple statement. God loves you. He does. Like, I promise you, more than any of us could know. He does. He loves us. It's more than that, though. It's that God made the world and that we have rebelled against him. And, and that the good news is, is that God had a plan for that, that God was not caught off guard. And that after he had made the world and we rebelled against him, God had a plan of redemption and restoration. And that he said to Abraham, I want you to come out of this land and I'm going to take you and I'm gonna make you into a great nation and I'm gonna bless the entire world, like all of it, not just one small part of it, but all of it, like through you. And I'm going to be the one to do it. This is my plan, this is my purpose for my glory. And he does this. When generations and generations and generations later, Jesus appears. And now all of a sudden we find out that not only does God love us, but God loves us so much that he sent his son who is in fact God. He's him. The Bible describes him as his son. 
And he lives the life that we could never live and he fulfills all of the needs of Israel, the nation, and humanity. And then he dies on a cross. We're about to talk a lot more about this this Easter season. He dies on a cross for our sins. He is raised, he ascends into heaven, and then he sends his spirit and he establishes a kingdom. See, all of that is the story of the gospel. The good news is the fact that God has a plan of redemption and restoration through the work of Jesus Christ. And that's not just something we say, it's, it's something that we have been invited to be a part of. And as we're invited to be a part of that, like that then begins to encompass and shape every aspect of our lives. And the good news is that this kingdom that we have been invited to be a part of, that we now give witness to it. That's what Paul and Barnabas are doing. They have been called specifically by the Holy Spirit to travel to what is now like modern day Turkey and to just walk from city to city and to speak about who Jesus Christ is and what he has done. And that's, that's what we're seeing. We're just getting a glimpse into these few verses. Chapter 13, verses 44 through 52, as they walk into the city and as they share the gospel, as they speak about God's love for them. And what's interesting is, is that for someone to say, God loves you, it's usually like, well, thanks. You could have just sent me a card. But it's more than that. I had the opportunity, actually, in Israel. I met someone there. Um, and we had this conversation. It was interesting because this person grew up not far from where I grew up. They're, they're Canadian, just like me. We're talking about why we're there, and we're talking about the faith that we have. And to watch this person wrestle with like whether or not they're a Christian. Now, I, I told them that I, when I preach, I sometimes make the, uh, the assessment kind of joke that a Christian isn't just someone that was born in Iowa. Like that's not the definition of a Christian. What I, what I mean by that is, is that sometimes we can be uh, tr tricked or deceived into believing that because we grew up in a Christian culture or in a Christian family in a, in a Christian way and, and we're, we're kind of, we act Christian-like that we're, we're Christians. And it was somewhat revelatory for me to share that that's really like not the interest of Jesus or the gospel writers. This person said to me, you know, like I, um, I try to do to others. Where, 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 is she, where is she getting this from? I try to do to others the way that I would want them to do for me. Like I, I try to be kind and, and I try to act neighborly to my neighbors. I know where you are. Oh yeah, I know that verse too. But I, I said back, you know, I, I've, I've met a lot of people that are by no means Christian that do the same thing. Like I don't think that's what makes you... And I love this question. That, well, then what makes, what makes someone a Christian? I'm glad you asked. And we began to talk about Jesus and who he is and what he does. And that's when things get complicated. Truly, that's when things get complicated. Jesus makes things complicated. He stands in history 
And, uh, and when we approach him and then we meet him, we've got to make a decision. We've got to go either left or right. There's not a middle road. There's not a middle path. And that's so hard for us. It's so difficult for us. And that's what's happening here in Antioch of Pisidia. And as the, 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 the plan of God and then the good news specifically about this, this peace that comes through Christ and this kingdom that he is establishing and then us being joined into that, what it does when it's presented is that it typically exposes both interest and envy. And we see that in our, in our, in our text for today. Is that the Jewish people that are hearing this, they're, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in this. Not only that, but what we actually see, because this isn't the first time the gospel's been presented in Acts chapter 13. Like, when, uh, when people begin to hear about it, others want to know about it. I, I'm, I'm always pleasantly surprised when, when people say to me, and they typically do, I would like to hear a little more about that. Like, when I have an opportunity to share the gospel with most people, it's usually not like this anger. Um, it's... Okay, but tell me what you meant when you said, and we get into these really very interesting conversations, and that's why it's so good to always be remember, to always remember that what I'm calling people to is a life in Jesus. Not just a better life, but a life in Jesus that is the better life. And it exposes this interest. Now, if the conversation goes on, sometimes when you talk about Jesus long enough, um, he causes problems. He just does, by the way. Because he begins to say things. As I, as I was sharing the gospel with my new friend, um, she just kept saying over and over again, it just seems so, and here's her word, seems so binary. Seems so either or. And I just had to say, yeah, Jesus is like that. Like he, he actually said things, like either you're for me or you're what? Against me. So Jesus didn't seem to give like a, like a third option. No, he's, there's this dividing line. There's this dividing decision that separates. So it only makes sense that at first when there is interest, then as the decisions are being made, the implications become more and more. And, and there are some people that are just going to begin to well up with, with jealousy and envy. And that's what we see here in our text. Look at verse 44. I want to just look at the first few verses of our text. It says, on the next Sabbath, so they've had a little bit of time to think about the message that is being preached that Paul and Barnabas have shared. And almost the whole city is now gathering to hear the word of the Lord. There's virtually no way that they're going to be able to meet in the synagogue then. And so instead of it being this typical gathering in a synagogue type area, um, they were going to be spilling out over into the marketplace, over into the public meeting places, which wouldn't be uncommon. And, and we want to have, we want to we hear more about what you are describing. There, there is in this city this interest. In verse 45, but when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. Like the words here, that is the, the, the contradicting and the jealousy and the reviling him is literally like to blaspheme him, to speak against some people wonder if he's really like blaspheming Paul or if they're like blaspheming Jesus in the process. Man, the stuff that Paul and Barnabas are saying is just not true. 
Like it's, it's, it's blasphemous to believe that Jesus would be in fact God. We don't know the reason. It's, it's very interesting to watch commentators try to guess why there's jealousy. Some people think that maybe the, the Jewish people who have, and th- this was typical back in the first century, it wasn't uncommon for Gentile people, particularly women of prominence, for them to have an interest in the ancient religions, particularly Judaism. It wasn't, it wasn't out of place for them to want to come and hear the, the stories of ancient Israel's past. And now all of a sudden, someone's coming along and it's like, it's like they're half Jewish. They've got the stories, but with a better ending. And now all of a sudden, hey, you don't have to buy into the whole Jewish thing. All you got to do is believe in Jesus. And so some wonder if some of the jealousy is truly a fact that they're leading people away, even though they're Gentiles, and the Jews definitely didn't, necess- didn't have a kind of an open-door policy for that, but now all of a sudden, these people are going in a completely different direction, and, and there are a number of synagogues around the world that have actually been sponsored or um, have been, have been uh, supported by Gentile believers. Now, all of a sudden, things are changing. I really think that the way the text is describing it, that they have a real problem with the message. I just have a real hard time believing that any of this is true. And although it's very popular in our day to just not speak, just let crazy be crazy. Let wrong be wrong. Why get involved with that? They feel a need to address this. You show up in our synagogue, you come to our town, you offer uh, some message that is contrary to the message of the Old Testament. No, 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 I'm here to defend the truth of God. And they're met with, with serious envy. Now what's interesting is that the response of this that we find in verse 46 is not one of shrinking back. It's, it's a great reminder for us I don't know what you do when you hear stories or you hear sermons that are about evangelism, about sharing our faith. I've been going to church a long time. And um, most really good messages on evangelism make me walk away feeling bad. I really need to share my faith more. I am, I am not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. That, that's honestly not what I'm want to accomplish it all today. I don't want you to just hear the the boldness and the power and the confidence that Paul and Barnabas have in it and walk away and, and feel bad. I believe Luke is recording this so that we would walk away and feel encouraged. That we might walk away and feel strengthened. That we might walk away and have a a better understanding of what our forefathers in the faith have gone through as they shared the truth about Jesus, where it was met with interest and envy. And that's what we see right here. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly. It's very interesting that the response of the people was not what was going to somehow Um, ultimately determine their message or their perspective or their commitment. I'm not here to make friends. I'd love to make friends, but I'm not here to make friends. 
Like, I, I want you to accept this, but I'm not, I'm not here just so that you might accept it. I'm here as a witness to speak to the truth about who God is and his plan of salvation. Like, that's what we see in the faith of Paul and Barnabas this morning. That they were called there for a purpose. It's really interesting to, to note that what Paul and Barnabas seem to see themselves in is this, this long snaking path of God's preaching, of God's proclamation of who he is and what he is about. And it's always met receptively and with profound opposition. And just like the prophets of old, they decide to speak more boldly and they say this. Notice their explanation gets kind of interesting here. It says this, it was necessary. The, in, in, in the Greek there, it really has a word kind of speaking to the necessary nature of this. There's, a, there's an emphasis there. We had to come here. It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. This is reminiscent of the teachings of Jesus Christ himself, who actually, when he would appoint the apostles, or they were disciples at the time, but actually, no, they're apostles because they're being sent. Disciple, follower, apostle, one who is sent out. Jesus would send out his followers. He is apostling the disciples. He is sending them out into um, the area, and he says this to them, don't go outside of, like, the Israel wall, so to speak. Like, I want you to make sure that you, you speak to Israel. Don't just, don't just wander off into anywhere. No, I want you to find people that um, are children of Abraham, literally children of Abraham, and I want you to share the good news of Jesus Christ in terms of who he is. That's, that's so strange to our ears. Like, why, why would he do that? That seems so, like, exclusive. It seems so just wrong. But no, it was, it was his plan. And, and Paul seems to have that guidance of the Holy Spirit where he does the same thing. And he goes to the synagogues. First, it shows up in Antioch of Pisidia and he says, I got to share the gospel with you. Now, I think sometimes we can be easily, um, when we don't want to trust the word of God or the leading of God, then we have to try to go for something that just really makes sense, um, that's well-reasoned. Can you tell me why we're doing that? I've heard preachers say, sadly enough, it's probably come out of my own mouth, that what appears like what Paul is doing is they're just kind of going around and picking the low-hanging fruit. Do you, know the, do you know the metaphor? Basically that Paul and Barnabas are going around and going, you know, there's not a lot of us here, so we probably need to do something to, we need to kind of generate some momentum. That's what we need. We need momentum. Well, what can we do? Well, if we're going to have to just go out and talk to everybody, it's going to be really hard because we're going to have to start at the beginning and explain the Adam and Eve thing, and they're going to really struggle with the snake and the tree, and then we got to do the Noah and the boat thing, and that'll just cause some more problems. So why don't we just go to a synagogue where they kind of know the stories? <laughs> why don't we just pick the low-hanging fruit? I don't think this is a strategy. I really don't. I think it's what Paul would seem to describe is like it's a fulfillment of scripture. Like God has a plan. Jesus, in one of his encounters, a woman comes up to him really wanting a healing for someone she loves. And Jesus turns to her. People have a hard time with so many of the words of Jesus, but Jesus turns to this woman and he says, woman, do you not understand that I've come for Israel? And you're not an Israelite. You're a Syrophoenician. You're not even fully Phoenician. You're a Syrophoenician. 
And she says to him, like I know, like I know, I know that you are, you've come for them and I, I know that they're like, and she uses this analogy, that you've come for like the children around the table to feed them. And she looks at herself and says, but Jesus, like even when the crumbs fall off the table, a good person's gonna let the dog eat the crumbs. And I'm here to just gather and just eat what's been left over. And Jesus looks at her and is, I don't know how you amaze Jesus, but she did it. He is, he is impressed with her faith. Like that's what Paul and Barnabas are getting at here. Really kind of drawing in, and, and by the way, does that not say something about her and her zeal? Here she is on the outside just begging for scraps and grateful when they fall. And there are children at the table going, seriously, I don't want to eat this anymore. Mom, why did you make this? Oh, right? I wish you'd act more like my puppy, right? And then he says something even more profound. Listen to this next part of verse 46. The word of God had to be spoken to you. So we, we did what God has called us to do. And since you thrust it aside, and by you thrusting it aside, by you rejecting it, by you dismissing it, he says this, you've judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Now that's, 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 that's intense. Like statements like that usually only come from the mouth of Jesus. That's a pretty bold statement. When I share the gospel with someone and I'm sharing them like the, the God, God's wonderful plan, I'm always a little bit concerned that they're gonna kind of feel judged in the process. You know what I'm talking about? I, I want you to accept the wonderful love that God has for you. Now, if you don't accept it, you do know that you're going to be going to you know where, the place with the double hockey sticks and it's not Canada. Like you're, you're going to go to hell, like eternal separation from God. And I'm, I'm so afraid that when you begin to talk like that, that they might feel judged. I think it's one of the reasons why we don't even feel comfortable sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Because I don't even know if we think it's good news. I'd rather not talk about it, to be honest with you. That's what most people think. And yet Paul seems to say that after the good news has been spoken and people say no, or a more polite version, no thank you. You don't have to be rude about it. You can be very kind and polite and just say no thank you. That interestingly enough, that's not a judgment just made upon you. It's a judgment that you are making. Like whenever you hear the gospel presented to you, like today, the good news of who Jesus Christ is and the offer of salvation that he has for you, God's extension of his love to you that you might have peace in Jesus Christ and the work that he has done for you. And you say no thank you, it's because you have a better plan, at least in your own mind, that you have another way. In, in which case, as Paul says here and as Barnabas says here, 
the, the Jewish people don't want to hear from or listen to or follow Jesus, they're going to stick to the old way. Thank you very much. And, and Paul says, and by doing that, you've judged yourselves. Like you've made a judgment. By the way, that's true, right? When you share the gospel with someone and they say no, they're making a judgment, right? They're saying, I don't need this. Like, I don't need this way of life. I don't, I don't need Jesus. But that's a judgment. For all these people that say we really shouldn't judge, when they say they don't need Jesus, um, you've stepped into judgment world. It's, like you, it's almost like you can't get around it. Like Jesus is standing in the middle. It's, it's like he says, you're either for me or you're what? Against me. And then he concludes by saying in verse uh, the back part of verse 46. You've judged yourself unworthy, therefore we are turning to the Gentiles. For the Lord has commanded us, speaking about Barnabas and Paul, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you might bring salvation to the ends of the earth. It appears that God's plan, under his sovereign control, so it's always complicated to talk about what God desires, because does he, doesn't God get all that he desires? Oh, that's, that's, a, that's for a series of other messages. But God's love for us, we do know the Bible says that God loves us so much he doesn't desire that anyone would perish. God does not delight in the death of the wicked. Like God has a desire, that's why Jesus died, so that the offer of salvation could be extended to you this morning and to the halls at Pisidia, Antioch. But the plan was, is that when the gospel was presented to the descendants of Abraham, the true descendants of Abraham, who had that same heart as their forefather, Abraham, would receive it by faith and experience this new life. And then they would turn around and want to share that like a light to everybody around them. Like once you've received it, then you would just naturally want to share it, right? That's kind of the expectation of this text. And since they have rejected it, Paul and Barnabas say this is like a, a, a fulfillment of the prophecy found in Isaiah. Like I've now made you a light to the Gentiles to bring salvations to the end of the earth. Like God has made you an offer. You have said no, but God is not done making the offer. Let me tell you this. Like if you decide to not share your faith, if you decide to not go, wherever you decide not to go, I'm not, I'm not here to tell you where to go or not to go. But when you decide to not go, God is not hindered, God is not stopped, God is not thwarted in any way, shape, or form. He will raise up people to go. I find, I find great peace in that. And uh, I, I find great, um, I don't know, it's like the ominous hand of God upon my heavy heart and mind, recognizing the obligation that just me, Jim Johnson, has in light of the light that has been extended to me. That God does not need me, and yet he has called me. Each of us, those who have accepted this wonderful gift of life to share the light that has been extended to us. The gospel exposes this interest and envy 
And therefore, we shouldn't be surprised that it then also produces or it brings both joy and then contempt. Notice how at first there is an interest and then there is like acceptance. One of my concerns that I have with people who always just want to have an interest is that they're always, they're always shopping but never buying. They're always looking. They're always just, you know, I've got an interest. And I think I might even be more of an interest seeker. I'm more of a seeker. I'm more like, that's what I am. I'm like a seeker of, of deep things and, and truths. And so I'm interested. And, and after this, I'm interested in having another conversation about being interested. Are you ever going to buy? I like just being interested. Is that what you like? You like just being interested? I'm just not a big decision person. Okay. But notice that there comes a time where this interest is received and it produces, it brings both joy, don't be surprised, contempt. Verse 48, and when the Gentiles heard this, they that they were going to be a light for the rest of the world, um, they began rejoicing and glorifying. It's interesting, they don't say glorifying just God. They glorify, they, they, give, they give credit or they give praise to the words that are spoken. It is not their Barnabas and Paul's kindness that has saved them. It is the word that has been preached to them. And so they glorify the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Now, obviously, that verse can mean a lot of things. Here's the one thing it has to believe, or it has to mean. It has to mean that God is ultimately the one calling, sending, and moving. How all of that works? Oh, theologians and even people like me can just sit there and wrestle with that for the rest of my life. But the Bible makes it clear that God has a plan. That's why he sent Paul and Barnabas. And that's when Paul and Barnabas got there. That is why people received. And even the fact that they were met with jealousy and blasphemy and contempt, it means at least they were communicating well. And everyone that was appointed to eternal life believed. And then the word of the Lord was spreading throughout that whole region but the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, and they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. I couldn't help but just stop and think about all those people's lives that may have been eternally affected by a few people making decisions to kind of hold Jesus off, the preaching of Jesus off, the preaching of Paul and Barnabas off, um, wow, that's, that's intense, isn't it? And then I just, I couldn't help but think about, again, the responsibility that, that I have as, uh, and I kind of go through all these, these things in my life as a husband, as a dad. I've got sons that I need to share the gospel with. And as um, like a, a, a somebody that I, where I work, the people I work with, and like where I go to the gym, and um, the people that I have an opportunity to just live side, li live, live with in where, where I live, my neighbors, like everywhere I go. I've got this opportunity and this responsibility. And here are some people that are pushing them out. Now the good news is, there are those who continue to believe and it looks like a church grows there because Paul and Barnabas are going to swing back on their way back to Antioch and they're going to stop here again and they're going to strengthen the saints there. 
But then Paul and Barnabas at the very end, verse 51, they shook off the dust from their feet against them and they went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. See, the disciples understood. This is, it sounds extreme. You think I'm extreme, right? You think I'm extreme sometimes? When, the more that I think about it, the more that I look at even the words of Jesus and I look at the, the disciples and I get this real sense of like extreme actions that are necessary. The idea of shaking off the dust off of your feet is a, is a, is a tradition that recognizes that, that God comes to places when he is rejected and he judged them. Think of, think of Sodom and Gomorrah. We were, we were in Capernaum and one of the lessons that we taught there actually that you'll see on video here in the next little bit is about the warnings that Jesus gives against the cities in that area. And he says on the, like the day of judgment, like cities that were condemned are going to rise up and condemn you because someone greater, someone greater than Jonah is here. Like Nineveh is gonna judge you. Jesus will say things like Sodom and Gomorrah is going to rise up and they're going to judge you because someone greater is here and yet you don't see it. And when that judgment comes, I don't want to have any part of it. When God comes and judges this place, I don't even want my feet to have any of the dust from that place. And so they do it as both a symbolic but a very literal sign of judgment. I know we're always going to wrestle with, like, when is that point in time? I just know this. At this particular point in time with the amount of resistance that they met, Paul and Barnabas realized it was time to move on. That, that contempt is, is actually met with a very, a very powerful, a very, you might want to call it like an extreme measure of truth. That is... For as many times as you have talked about your interest, there is a time that a decision must be made. And for as many times as you've taken the time and the interest and the attention to love someone and to share the gospel with someone, like a time of decision is necessary. Like it really draws us to that. Like we don't have forever in that sense. And Paul and Barnabas... I believe under the leading of the Holy Spirit, then they leave for Iconium and the mission continues. And verse 52, but it's not going to be left alone because the disciples there are filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Paul and Barnabas are on a journey of telling the truth about who Jesus Christ is and making a very clear offer of salvation to anyone who hears. And they are following much in line with the words of Jesus Christ himself. Who describes in the Gospels what it's like to speak truth, to speak about the good news of the kingdom that's coming, to speak about the life that people can find in him or the lack of life that people find away from him. Jesus made this very bold statement near the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He said this, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction as you search for your own happiness and your own self-fulfillment as you try to reconstruct a life that you think is best for you. Yeah, that's an easy life. That's an easy road. That's an easy way that leads to destruction. It's like that's the default. 
Don't be surprised that most people fall into the default. It's always wide and easy to do what we want. But Jesus says, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. I just, I wonder how many times, I'm thinking about our missionaries that we've recently sent out, that the number of times they are going to hear no or no thank you. And how many times that might be discouraging, but how true it is to the words of Jesus Christ that the way to death is wide and the way to life is narrow. If you think I'm extreme, you need to listen to my Savior. He says some pretty bold statements. I've been talking about this new friend of mine that I've been sharing the gospel with. And as I was describing to her what it actually meant to be a Christian, I'll never forget what she said. Here's her comment to me that she made. Man, following Jesus makes for a hard life, doesn't it? (laughs) You know what I wanted to say? I wanted to say, no, it doesn't. Honest, it doesn't. But hearing her say it from the way that we were just talking about what it meant to be a Christian, I thought, no, I I think Jesus would totally agree with that. But I can't let it stay there because there's more, isn't there? So I have to add, sure, it does make for a hard life. But following Jesus also makes for a joy-filled life. And a life of peace and a different kind of burden. Yeah, we do have the burden of sharing our faith with anyone who would dare to listen. And yeah, it's hard to be consistently (laughs) either rejected or misunderstood. But Jesus makes it worth it, doesn't he? And as we get ready for our Easter season, I hope that you know that there are going to be a lot of people that are more aware and maybe even interested in knowing about who Jesus is. And it is our prayer that we as a faith community will take that seriously and begin to have a lot of those conversations that they would see in us, both in word and in our actions, the truth about who Jesus Christ is and the hope that we have found in him. That like Paul and Barnabas, we could recognize that we have been called to the places where we work and where we live that we might share the absolute joy-filled experience that is received by all whom the Lord has called. Let's pray. God, thank you for our time and for these words of strength and encouragement. Thank you so much for the reality of who Jesus is. And may the peace that we find in him be shared with those around us. It's in his name, his holy name, his saving name, that we stop and give you thanks. Amen.